band. Thank you very, very much. Musicians do a great job for us. I have a note uh, that we need uh, servers for the three-on-three tournament. You can see Carol uh, Cannon about that. Uh, Nicole, you can see her, uh, or Brenda, uh, if you want to volunteer for that. So take note of that. All right, turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37. I just feel that today is a very uh, special occasion, uh, and I'm saying that in the context of this sermon, and I hope it is a special occasion for you. I read through the book of Ezekiel about a year and a half ago. Uh, It's not the last time I've read the book of Ezekiel, but uh, I was reading it about a year and a half or so ago, and this story, this text that we're going to read, one of those moments that it leapt out at me. I had a short discussion with one of my colleagues about uh, this particular verse and how I wanted to preach on it, but it didn't quite gel. And so I've had it on my mind. It was such a real and profound uh, moment that it's been on my mind ever since. I've probably thought about this story at least uh, uh, once a week or so ever since then. Uh, and then this past week it gelled. So uh, I feel that with preaching and the subject matter of sermons, there is a timing and there is a moment that God wants to speak a certain word. And I just have a feeling that this sermon is going to be very timely for very many of you that are here today. G.K. Chesterton was a very well-known preacher in England many years ago. And he said these words. He said, hope means hoping when things are hopeless. Hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is not a virtue. I mean, what good is it if we hope for the sun to rise in the morning? It's not a virtue. Hope. As a virtue is what sustains you in the present. Hope means hoping when things are hopeless. It is only when, he went on to write, everything is hopeless or seems so, that hope begins to be a sustaining strength in our lives. He went on to write, where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. So I want to ask you a question. What is your relationship with hope? What is the relationship between hope and your situation? The word means an optimistic attitude of mind positive attitude of mind based on an expectation of positive outcomes related to events and circumstances in one's life. It means to expect with confidence to cherish a desire with anticipation. You need a relationship with hope, and you need it right now. A man approached a Little League baseball game one afternoon. And he was curious about what was going on, and he asked a boy in the dugout, 
what the score was. And the little boy responded and said, 18 to nothing. And we're behind. And the spectator said, man, I'll bet you're discouraged. And the little boy said, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even been up to bat yet. Where there's no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. I'd say that little boy had a pretty good attitude, don't you? I want little guys like that around. And I think we could all use a lot of that. So then on the other side of that coin, what happens to a person when hope dies? What happens to a person when it is absent or it has been lost? It will always be replaced by despair. You either hope or you have despair. You either have hope or hopelessness. The definition of that is the feeling that everything is wrong and nothing will turn out well. Hope is such a powerful and necessary force to drive you in the right direction in its absence with nothing else going wrong or amiss. In the absence of hope, all can be lost. The text is about absolute hopelessness and despair. It's about an irreparable unredeemable situation that has turned into wonderful hope for the future. And what happened to the children of Israel in our text, or at the very least what God intended to happen to the children of Israel in our text, I think needs to happen to all of us here this morning. So let's read it, and I will qualify it and expound on it throughout the course of the message today. We're beginning in verse 1 of Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me. This, of course, is Ezekiel writing in the first person. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. And the Lord said to me, Son of man... Can these bones live? Can they live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. And again the Lord said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you. and You shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone, and indeed, As I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. 
And he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. And then the Lord said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy to them and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord and that I have opened your graves. O my people, and brought you out from your graves, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord and have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the rich revelation that is in this word, in this story, in this message today. God, let it resonate in every heart here today. We thank you in Jesus' name. So I want to talk about this idea of having in your life a hopeless situation. There's a little interesting background that I discovered as I was researching for this sermon. And that is that this story has some very interesting historical significance. On May 14th, of 1948, May 14th, 1948, the United Nations General Assembly voted to restore Israel as a nation after it had not existed as a nation for 2,000 years. It was a miracle. Several years previous to this occasion, Mark Twain, the uh, American humorist and uh, novelist and uh, uh, author, had mocked the prophecies of the Bible. He made a journey to uh, the Middle East in the late 1800s when they were nothing more than desert landscape uh, and malaria-ridden swamps. uh, And he said uh, that the prophecies of the Bible will never come to pass. And then on May 14th, the miracle of miracles, Israel is declared a nation. The next day, David Ben-Gurion said that it was a fulfillment of Ezekiel 37, that dry bones are going to live again. And then it was just a few years later that they were digging in a place called Masada. In 70 AD, 2,000 years ago, Rome uh, had invaded Israel for the purpose uh, of vanquishing her and destroying Jerusalem, uh, and they did that. They shed a lot of blood, uh, murdered a lot of innocent uh, victims, uh, uh, and destroyed the temple. Masada was a like a mesa. It was a mountaintop fortress uh, that Herod had built for himself. Uh, It had been abandoned. uh, And so 900 plus Jews uh, made the trek up to Masada in order to make a last stand against the Romans. Uh, And it was a very secure place because there was only one trail that led up to Masada. So it was very easily defended. So they were there. They eventually were defeated. But when they were digging in that area some years ago, they found a scroll 
in the place where they were believed to have worshipped there on the top of Masada as the Romans were slowly marching forward to conquer them. And in the scroll was Ezekiel 37. This was the promise these Jews that were about to be annihilated were holding on to. And this is why this chapter matters so much to us here today. This text is referring to an actual battle that had taken place. Most Bible scholars don't believe this is some vision, but the Spirit of the Lord actually brought Ezekiel to a place where the Chaldeans had wiped out the army of the children of Israel. And this is what had been left after many, many years. All the flesh had rotted off. All the wealth and material possessions had been taken by the victors. And all that was left was the skeletal remains and defeat and death and loss. And it is a hopeless situation. Nobody would look at a valley of dry bones and think, anything other uh, that then this is a memorial and a carcass uh, to a past defeat uh, and a past loss. Uh, and all around, uh, the children of Israel during that time were reminders uh, of their defeat. At this time, of course, uh, they are deep into their captivity, probably uh, somewhere around maybe the 40th year or so uh, of a 70-year captivity, maybe even longer. Uh, and this valley of dry bones uh, represents to them and it represents to us today a, a hopeless situation uh, that cannot be redeemed, or so we think. Uh, what's done is done. Uh, what's happened has happened. Uh, it's never going to change. Uh, you cannot unscramble an egg. Uh, you cannot rewrite the past. Uh, it is set in stone, uh, and it cannot be changed. And so God brings Ezekiel to this valley of dry bones, the hope of restoration has been lost. They have no hope. They're going to be in Babylon for the duration. Their dreams have died. Their hope has been lost. Uh, The memory uh, of nationhood uh, and the glory of having their own kingdom uh, and their own temple to worship in. uh, As the years begin to pass uh, by decade, uh, all their dreams were vanquished. Uh, All their hopes and their aspirations uh, had evaporated. Uh, There were now multitudes of the children of Israel, of the Jews, uh, that were born in captivity uh, and had come to adulthood uh, in captivity. So they have no memory of anything other than Babylon. Israel in all of her glory would have just been a story, a long lost memory. Their life is the valley of dry bones. It's just the way it is. It can't be repaired. Babylon is such a powerful city and nation. They're governed. They're ruled. They have become a slave and a captive people. And there's no way out. It's just the way it is. And when God brings Ezekiel to this place, he's overwhelmed by what he sees. And then God asks him this extremely profound and interesting, and it seems like a rhetorical question. And God has him look at the dry bones, and not only look at the dry bones, but he makes him walk among the dry bones and see them at his feet. And they are there, and they were very many, the Bible says, and they were very dry. And God asks him, can these bones live? Why would God ask him that question? 
And his answer is curious, isn't it? Can these bones live? One answer, God, you're a miracle-working God, yes or no. This battle happened so long ago. This is an impossibility. Ezekiel would never have heard of such a miracle. He saw supernatural things happen uh, up until this point uh, uh, in his life. He had had visions and such things, uh, but he'd also seen tragedy and defeat and loss uh, and failure uh, and a backslidden nation carried off into captivity. So then his answer was, Lord, you know. And I think he answered that way because he doesn't have confidence uh, to answer affirmatively uh, either way. Uh, He doesn't know what to believe. He doesn't know what to think. Uh, He doesn't know what to answer. Uh, The dry bones uh, represented, as God said toward the end of our text, uh, the children of Israel. uh, They've been dispersed abroad. Uh, They've been carried away captive. Uh, They are destitute of life, national uh, and spiritual life. uh, And they're they are. And God said, these dry bones are the children of Israel. So I wonder, what does this represent in your life? Because I think that there's a valley of dry bones in every life. And there it is. You're standing in the midst of it and the dry bones are there at your feet. Dry bones represent hopelessness and an unredeemable situation. We think uh, maybe it's too late to do anything. Things have been a certain way uh, for so long, uh, and they're never going to change. Uh, Something that once had life uh, doesn't have life any longer. Uh, These dry bones that Ezekiel is looking at uh, represented fathers and brothers uh, and sons uh, and husbands. uh, And who knows uh, how much offspring came from these dry bones when they were living human beings uh, and how much tragedy is connected uh, and how many of the wives uh, and the sons uh, and the fathers and the brothers uh, have long since even stopped grieving uh, and moved on with their life. Uh, They're no longer taking flowers to the grave. Uh, They're no longer thinking uh, about this battle uh, and the defeat. Uh, It would have happened dozens upon dozens of years previously. In verse 2, then he caused me, the Lord caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. What can be done about a valley of dry bones? Many people stand in the midst of their own personal valley of dry bones And you have come to the conclusion uh, nothing can be done. As I said, for the Jews, captivity is all they know. It is their status quo. It is the accepted norm. Born into it. Gotten used to it. There's the... Memorial to our defeat and our captivity, a once vibrant, powerful, strong, anointed army is now nothing more than skeletal remains of their former glory. Unsaved loved ones. Maybe the valley of dry bones in your life is that or a financial situation. 
your 20, 30, 50, $90,000 in debt and it's a valley of dry bones and you see no hope. Maybe you look at your marriage. It was once passionate. We were in love. We held each other, embraced each other, communicated, shared dreams. But over the years, we've drifted apart. We're still together. There's no talk or thought of anything other than being together. But there's no passion. And there's wives here. And your marriage is the valley of dry bones. Because you yearn for more, for life. You yearn for what it once was. And there are men here that your marriage is the valley of dry bones. No longer giving you the full fulfillment and satisfaction uh, that it once did. Uh, Your valley of dry bones can be your past uh, and regret over the mistakes. Uh, It can be, it can be uh, uh, experiences uh, of abuse and hurt uh, and the woundings of life that you still carry uh, and have not yet been healed from. uh, And you've come to the conclusion uh, that what has happened has happened, uh, uh, but you continue to wallow in that valley of dry bones like Ezekiel there standing in in the midst of these dry bones. The children of Israel have given up and accepted the status quo and God steps in to do something about that. The question is, what are you going to do? Now, our natural default is, God, what are you going to do about this? As a matter of fact, we stand in our own personal valley of dry bones, and we say, God, you are, here I am standing in the valley of dry bones, and these dry bones are here because you didn't stop it. You didn't prevent it. You haven't done anything. That's why the dry bones are here in the first place. So our prayer is, God, what are you going to do about this? We know and believe that he's our source. We go to him in prayer by faith. And we believe for miracles, and the Bible validates that. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. He is my all in all, my fortress and my high tower, my place of refuge. And we are taught to go to God as our source. And so when we have our valley of dry bones, what do we do? We cry out to God, God, you do something about this. Why aren't you doing something about this? Why is nothing changing? We are frustrated. There are very many bones, and the bones are very dry. They've been here for a very long time. Nothing has changed. Nothing has happened. And now after 30 or 40 or maybe 50 years, we're still in captivity, and there's no movement. And so for most all of them, the dream had died. The vision had ceased. Hope was lost. And it's all dry bones. It's never going to change. Nothing is ever going to affect this situation to make it any different. And so we can get very frustrated standing in a valley of dry bones that remains unchanged. Year after year, there it lies. And so then the hopelessness and the despair can begin to settle in. And once you come to that place, 
That's a very dangerous place because it's right there that over the years I've watched people make some catastrophically bad decisions. Hopelessness is the breeding ground for some of the worst decisions that we make in life. People quit. People give up. They'll give up on a marriage. They'll give up on relationship. They'll give up on a ministry. They'll detach from something uh, that God wants them to be connected to. They'll change course. Uh, They start viewing their uh, future differently. Uh, The vision that God had given them, uh, that they had been working toward. Yeah, there have been bumps in the road. Yes, there's been uh, uh, unanticipated things that have happened. Maybe personal failures, uh, maybe sin. Uh, But as soon as that dream evaporates uh, and then the hope dies, then we become vulnerable uh, to shifting gears, uh, and making some of the most catastrophically bad decisions of life. I hear people tell me things like, I used to believe I don't anymore. I used to have hope for a certain outcome. Not anymore. That's long gone. And we feel like we're in the valley of dry bones and nothing is going to change. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I couldn't really find a a better translation than that. But what it means when you have hope for something and then there's a delay in it being realized, you get sick, frustrated. Things begin to enter into your heart. You can get angry. You can get frustrated. You can start making bad decisions. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. The literal translation is delay in obtaining what a man passionately desires affects the condition of your heart. Lots of people, hopelessness and despair has made them sick. In a sense, I mean, in a spiritual context of being demoralized and unbelieving. So God has a question for you today. What are you going to do about this? It's pretty obvious, but very challenging and very difficult, and I expect Some very serious business to be taking place at this altar today. The action of God taking a person from hopelessness back to hope is a huge journey. It's huge. It's one thing to have hope and maintain it. It's another to have had hope and lost it and then to recover it again. Not so easy. A vision, a desire, an expectation is birthed in you as a young girl, a young lady, a young man. Expectation is birthed. There's no reason not to believe. You can't have fulfilled the good intentions of your heart. But for whatever reason, life happens. Can you say amen? There doesn't have to be uh, a, 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 a perfect explanation. But now, some years down the road, perhaps, we have all kinds of reasons to no longer believe in our dream. 
There were very many and they were very dry. There's a lot of reason to believe these bones cannot ever live. You can't unscramble this egg. This is, I believe in miracles. I believe that God can do almost anything, but not this. Not my valley of dry bones. It may be one of the greatest challenges of your life that happens here at the altar today, and that is the resurrection of hope that has died. Can you resurrect faith and hope for what God can do in your life? And I want you to examine the possibility that you have accepted things in your life that you don't have to accept. The point of the story, Ezekiel, you know what? We don't have to accept this valley of dry bones. Something can be done about it. So I wonder if you have looked at your own personal valley of dry bones and just accepted it. It's the status quo. It's the way things are. I've adjusted to it. It's cool. I'll get along fine here in captivity. You see, there is a God factor that we lose sight of. And we lose sight of that in the turbulent waters that our life is sometimes. Why would Jesus say in Matthew 19, 26, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible? That scripture came to life as I thought about this valley. With men this is impossible. Your valley of dry bones can't come to life. That's an egg that's been scrambled that can't be undone. That's a situation that has been set in stone. A lot of time has passed. Nothing has changed. There were very many bones and they were very dry. Sarah, Abraham's beautiful young wife, married him and dreamed of having a child and probably multiple children. The years pass. The decades pass. The quarter century mark passes. Half century mark passes, as a matter of fact. So she lost the dream. It's not going to happen. It became an impossibility. And then, as an elderly woman, when the promise came, she laughed. And that's when we find that scripture that we use from time to time in Genesis 18:14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, Sarah, according to the time of life, and you shall have a son. So in her valley of dry bones, she's cracking up at the prospect of these bones. Don't be silly, Lord. This foolishness. I am an elderly woman. I am beyond the capability of having children. My husband is beyond his capabilities. See, what you and I need to feel the challenge of is we need to recapture the God factor here today. The text is God's extreme effort 
to resurrect hope. No matter how set in stone things seem to be in your life, this text says not so. A certain way for a very long time, and I think the most convicting element to the story that we need to feel very much here today is that there will be no miracle without the faith and the actions of Ezekiel. God is not going to resurrect your dry bones absent of your involvement, absent of you connecting your faith with God and allowing hope to be rebirthed once again. Adam Clark's comment on this chapter. Prophesy on these bones. Declare to your miserable countrymen the gracious designs of the Lord. Show them that their state, however deplorable it may be, isn't hopeless. So let's examine the miracle. And this is really what this is all about. Dry bones have to be spoken to. Are you willing to start talking to them today? What you say to the dry bones of your life is going to be some of the most important words you ever speak. And they will lead to some of the greatest miracles that you will experience. Verse 4. Again, the Lord said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. Prophesy to these bones. And he does hear the word of the Lord. Dry bones have ears. They hear. They have to listen to you. Hear the word of the Lord. He's talking to dry bones. God says, I want you to prophesy to them And so apparently, the dry bones, the dead, the skeletal remains, the valley of dry bones that you're standing in, it has ears. Your marriage that is dry bones has ears. Your unsaved loved ones that seems to be a valley of dry bones, no hope, they have ears. And you can start speaking the Word of God to them. And they have ears that can hear this morning. And the question is, will you start talking? May seem absurd. Ezekiel is by himself with the Lord's presence in this valley of dry bones. Ezekiel is the one, the second thing to note of those two verses I read, Ezekiel is the one prophesying, so the bones have ears, But it's God's voice that he is channeling because as 
Ezekiel begins to talk, he says, thus says the Lord God to these bones. God wants to speak his word to your situation. You have to do the talking. You have to take God's word. You have to take God's promises. You have to take God's love for you and for your situation and begin to channel that and begin to speak into that valley of dry bones in your life. Verse 6, I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you. Cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So far, everything is in the future tense. I will, you shall, you shall know that I am the Lord. But as soon as he speaks and his faith is connected to the words, a miracle begins to transpire in his life. I thought about some other incidences of this in the Bible. And I thought about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was told by God to write a letter to the children of Israel. They are on their way to captivity when he wrote the letter. They're about to be defeated, city destroyed, temple crushed, carried off. It's going to happen. Part of his letter to them is Jeremiah 29, 11, that you may know very well. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He's speaking to people. Words of hope. Don't lose hope. They're going to come to revelation that the judgment and the captivity was a worthy punishment for their sin. But God does not rejoice in judging sin. He rejoices in forgiving sin. He rejoices in redemption. And he's saying, I want you to know this, that the day of judgment is going to pass. And then there's going to be a day of restoration, a day of redemption, a day of healing, and a day of return. And then another amazing incident happened. The city of Jerusalem is being laid siege to by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. This incredible, mighty, powerful foreign army and force is surrounding Jerusalem. None can go out. None can come in. The siege lasted for almost three years. They ran out of food. They're dying in the streets. And eventually the Babylonians broke through. And you could read the account for yourself. And Jeremiah's in prison. So all of that is coming down. And then... Jeremiah's cousin comes to him while he's in prison. They're besieged by the Babylonians. And he said, hey, I've got a piece of land I'd like to sell you. It's right over here uh, in the area of the Benjamites tribe. I have the title deed. All we got to do is do the business. Give me the money and I'll give you the title deed. I mean, that property is worthless. That property is going to come into the hands of the Babylonians. It already is, but it will be official when Jerusalem is destroyed. And Jeremiah knows that's coming. The reason he's in prison is because he's been prophesying that Jerusalem is going to be overrun and we're going to be taken away into captivity. 
So he knows what's coming. And so his cousin comes uh, to sell him a piece of land, and he buys it. And this is what it says in the text. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle who is in Anathoth. I weighed out to him the money. For thus says the Lord of hosts, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. So Jeremiah, you go ahead and buy that. Babylonians may have control of it for a little while. It may seem hopeless. Seventy years, that's how long they're going to control. But you're coming home. That land is going to be yours. Do you remember the story of David and Ziklag? He goes off to battle while he's away. He leaves the city of Ziklag defenseless, uh, and the Amalekites come. They take the city, burn it to the ground. They carry away their wives and their children. And then when uh, David returns with his men, the city is ashes. It's the valley of dry bones. What's done is done. Their wives, their children have been taken captive. His men actually pick up stones to stone David. It looks hopeless. How can this be reversed? What could anybody do? David had the presence of mind to fall on his knees, and it had been quite some time uh, since this man has prayed and uh, gotten a hold of God in his life. Uh, But at a critical moment, uh, he gets a hold of God, uh, and he starts speaking uh, to his valley of dry bones. Uh, Our wives are gone. Our children are gone. Uh, We don't know if they're dead, if they're being abused. What's going on? And David cries out, and he prays to God uh, and says, uh, shall I pursue? And the Lord spoke back uh, and said, Yes, you shall pursue. And we know that as a result, David recovered everything, all the goods that were taken, all the wives and all the children. Not one of them was harmed. So whether it is an actual valley of dry bones, a city that is being besieged, or a city that has been reduced to ashes, there's a lot of dry bones throughout the Bible that should give you hope about the valley of dry bones that you're standing in the midst of today. So Ezekiel starts speaking to his valley of dry bones, and look, what's, look, look at what happens. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them yet. So I prophesied again as he commanded me, uh, and breath came, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. God wants that applied to your life and your situation. He explains it in verse 11, these bones are the whole house of Israel. That's how they saw themselves. Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. They think that's permanent. They think it can't be redeemed, it can't be fixed, it can't be restored. Then God starts talking to them and says, I will open your graves. I will bring you back into the land of Israel. You shall live. I 
I will place you into your own land. You shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it. Can you hear that word from God speaking? Because once you speak to the dry bones, then God starts speaking. And God begins to encourage. And God begins to prophesy. This is real. This is actually happening. It's not a vision. He is actually seeing this take place. This army was resurrected. It began to breathe. It began to walk. And it became a great, glorious, magnificent army again. And I want to say to you that are here this morning, there is such a resurrection in your life. If you can't believe that for yourself just yet, I'm going to stand alongside you in your valley of dry bones, and I'll believe God for you and along with you. I believe there's a resurrection in your future. What do you have to lose by believing in your dream again and by hoping again? Dry bones can live. Your dry bones can live. And this morning, all of us are going to speak to our valley of dry bones. Nothing happens until we do that. And this is the great lesson of the story. God isn't going to act independently of Ezekiel's faith. He has to believe. He has to speak. And then the bones will come to life. A lot in your life can live that you no longer believe can live. Don't you think you should start talking to some dry bones this morning? In a moment of time, God can breathe life. God can resurrect. God can restore hope from dead dry bones to a living army. The day after Israel becomes a nation, the first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion, pulls out Ezekiel 37. He knew the story of the Valley of Dry Bones and connected it with that. The 900-plus Jews on Masada, that's the chapter they held on to. That's the one that spoke to them, that these dry bones and your dry bones can live. Let's bow our heads this morning. Amen. Every head bowed. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody moving around for a moment. There's a resurrection grace here today. Resurrection. It's what needs to happen. And as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed... Perhaps you have come to the service today, this morning. You're not a Christian. You're visiting. Maybe a family member brought you. Maybe someone that you know attends the church and you've come because of that. Whatever reason. I'm not really interested in the reason that you've come. All I know is that I believe God brought you here. He has orchestrated your life in such a way so as to bring you to this service on this day to hear this sermon and to have God deal with your heart, knock on the door of your heart and ask you to open it. That's all he can do. He doesn't kick the door down. He can't force you to receive him as your Lord and Savior. He's a gentleman. He asks, he invites, and he's here today to forgive your sin, 
and to save you and to deliver you. And as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's moving around for a moment. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not saved, you're not right with God. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you didn't grasp the, you're not familiar with the Bible perhaps, and but you understood enough of what I was saying about the dry bones. Maybe that's a good description of how you view your own life. There's no life here. There's no breath. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no fulfillment, happiness. Your life is skeletal remains that have been lying in place for so very long. And you walk among the dry bones that is your life and nothing ever changes. Nothing ever gets better. And there are very many and they are very old. But you know what? There's a miracle-working God who in a moment's time can breathe life into your soul. He can forgive your sin, cleanse your heart, make you whole, change your life. That's what we advocate. Jesus changes lives. That's what you're going to hear about tonight with Pastor Luna's testimony. Jesus takes the worst of the worst among us and changes us, forgives us adopts us as his own sons and daughters. It doesn't matter what you've done if you can be sorry for it and ask for forgiveness. It really doesn't matter. The Apostle Paul killed Christians before he became one. He persecuted the church. The Bible is filled with violent people, immoral people, who got right with God, changed forever thieves liars empty lost guilty it is of no issue what you've done where you've been the issue is will you come to Christ and let him help you today let him forgive your sin and if that describes you I want to ask you today Just to allow me to pray for you. That's all I want to do. Just say a prayer for you. And in order to do that, I want to ask you just to lift your hand up right now. Lift your hand right up. Amen. Anyone else? I need Jesus. I want to pray. I want to repent. I want to get my heart right with God in Jesus' name. Lift your hand right up. In the name of Jesus. That valley of dry bones can come to life. There is nothing like the feeling of getting saved, being saved, being born again, being converted, having your sins washed away. I don't forget it. And it happened in my life over 40 years ago. The euphoria of feeling clean from the inside out, of knowing that Jesus is real, feeling his presence and that's you today would you let me pray for you (coughs) lift your hand right now all over this building nobody's looking around every head is bowed every eye is closed lift your hand right up in Jesus name lift it right up I want to repent and I want to get my heart right with God maybe you're backslidden you once prayed before but not living for God now. Maybe it has something to do with what I preached.
You drifted in your despair and hopelessness. I've watched people get mad at God because things didn't happen the way they thought that it should. There's delay, there's time that passes, and dreams aren't fulfilled, and it gets harder and not easier sometimes in some circumstances and situations. And you need to rededicate your life to Christ. This is the issue in your life. This really is the issue. And you'd lift your hand. Pastor, I need to rededicate my life to Christ. Pray for me this morning. Lift your hand up just so that I can see it, and I'll say a prayer for you today. All right, we're going to change the order of the service. You need to march straight into the valley of dry bones. That's what this altar represents. It's the valley of dry bones. You need to get yourself in the middle of it. Start talking. When there's no hope in the future, there's no power in the present. So what is the relationship between your situation, your marriage, your calling, your ministry, your walk with God, and hope? Ezekiel wasn't sure to begin with. You know, Lord. I don't know. You know. Can these bones live? You know. I don't. They can live. I think one of the most dramatic occasions that can happen to a believer is the resurrection of hope in the midst of the valley of dry bones. Let's all stand. These altars are open. Let's fill the altars. We're just going to play for a second. No singing just yet. And I want us to find a place to pray. Just slip out of your seat. Come to the altar. Find a place to pray. And remember where you're going right now. You're walking into the valley of dry bones. God picked up Ezekiel and took him there. Made him walk in the midst of it and see it. Very many and very old. Very dry. You have to get in the middle of it before you can answer the question, can these bones live? And then you need to obey God and start talking. God, I'm prophesying life. I'm speaking to the dry bones because I know they have ears, and I'm speaking your word. I don't have to accept this valley of dry bones as is in my life. I can speak to it. Jeremiah didn't accept the invasion, the conquering of Israel, because he knew it was temporary, so he bought the land. David stands in a city of ashes and says, you know what? God can help us recover everything we've lost. And Ezekiel is in our story, standing in the midst of a valley, talking to those bones. You're going to come to life in Jesus' name. Father God, you know the depths of despair that some people experience in life, the hopelessness. God, we fault no one for losing hope we know that you can resurrect hope you can deliver us from our despair and our hopelessness about our valley of dry bones god by your word we can begin to speak and we can begin to believe once again
Oh, God, I thank you, Lord. I give you praise. I exalt you. I worship you and I rejoice, oh, God, in all that you are doing in our lives. Oh, God, pour out your spirit. Open the windows of heaven. Comfort the saints, Lord God. Soothe every troubled heart that is here. Oh, God, cleanse us, Father, from all despair and hopelessness. Wash it away because we know that it is not of you, Lord. Oh, God, let us never accept the valley of dry bones as it is. Oh, God, but let us speak to it life and restoration. Very specific God was with Ezekiel. These bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed have said, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, we're cut off. That's what they thought. No more God, no more Israel, no more temple, no more presence, no more priesthood, no more provision from God, no more. That's where their heads were at. Our hope is lost, our bones are dry, we are cut off. They thought that was permanent. It wasn't. Therefore, God said to Ezekiel, you say to them, behold, O my people, I'll open your graves and cause you to come up and bring you back into the land of Israel. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord. God's going to prove himself to you. Hallelujah. Start speaking life to your marriage, life to your finance. You've got to take action. It's not just a matter of the speaking, but you then have to rise up and do what you need to do. But start talking at this altar. The sin, the past failure, get over it. Move on in your life. I don't have to be identified as an addict as an abuser, as a failure. Oh, Jesus. Let's all stand at these altars here this morning. And I want us just to bow our heads right where we're standing. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you don't have a valley of dry bones in your life, praise God. Maybe that is the case. Nothing wrong with that. But I know most people, there's something. Something there that we've lost hope. And we're going to start doing some talking. We're going to make this a feature of our prayer life. Not just a one-time affair here at this altar, but we're going to start doing a lot of talking about our dry bones in our life and start bringing life and revival and faith. Now I want you to pray this prayer here today. Dear God in heaven, I thank you that you are a God of resurrection. And I ask you to forgive me for in these areas of my life, losing hope, losing confidence, 
and crying out, saying, God, why don't you do something? I know that I need to rise up in faith right now, reclaim my hope and my confidence, and I know I need to start talking. And from this day forward, I will. To every valley of dry bones in my life, I'm going to be speaking life. No matter how long it takes, I'm going to speak life and breath and revival. And I commit myself to this, O oh God. Never again will I turn to hopelessness and despair. In Jesus' name, these bones shall live. Let's praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, God, I praise you. I love you. I exalt you. I glorify you. God, even now you minister, Father, hope and confidence, Lord. Restore faith, O oh God. I pray the joy and the peace of God to prevail in every life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank God. All right, we have a we have a water baptism, so we'll just dismiss right now. Why don't you bow your heads? Those of you that are going to be baptized in water, you can kind of slip out right now, or just as soon as I uh, close in prayer. Uh, go into the fellowship hall, go to the appropriate changing room, get ready, and then the rest of us will be over there to witness uh, this great occasion in your life, this water baptism. So uh, please go there straight away. Uh, and we encourage all the saints to stay with us and participate in uh, witnessing these new members of our church getting baptized in water. So please be encouraged about that. Let's bow our heads. Let's seal this word uh, in our lives. I'm going to ask uh, if uh, Brother Ernie Lopez, if you just close us in prayer, thank God this morning, go rejoicing. Don't forget all the activities tonight, beginning with prayer at 5.30, basketball tournament, side dishes, uh, and we're going to hear a great testimony tonight, so you don't want to miss that. Amen. Our heads are bowed. Brother Ernie's praying.
Yes, Lord. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you at the baptism.